and we can try to get our mind back on the, uh, the text at hand. Father, thanks again for today. How comical. Um, we're not in charge of these things. Um, we thank you for just joy and laughter that we can keep move, moving through these things. And those, you provide those things to us. However, I do pray against um, us losing focus on the reason that we've gathered to celebrate the risen Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's just move on from that first question. Um, is Jesus really raised from the dead? I think that has uh, satisfactorily been answered. Let me read the passage of focus again and we'll get to the second question. Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. I think there's this danger to the audience in which Paul is uh, speaking to. He's writing to this audience of this very danger of everyone else in this room is in danger of this, that we might believe that Jesus was raised from the dead ideologically, but never place our faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. That we would never experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That we would never move into a season of repentance and faith and power. Now before you blow this off, I want us to very soberly look at this very question. And maybe you would ask of yourselves, has there been a time in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus and seen the Holy Spirit come to work inside of you? There's a danger certainly in the Western church. There's a danger certainly in the South as we are in the Bible Belt. There's a danger certainly here that Paul's writing to address this very thing, that the signifying change in a person's life is what alerts you to this actual stepping in to becoming a follower, disciple of Jesus. It's not baptism. It's not walking some aisle and shaking a pastor's hand. It's not some ideological ascent. It's not even good ethical behavior, but scripture says that there will be actual character change for those who place their faith in Jesus. Paul mentions three reasons in Romans chapter 8, following um, this verse 11, of three reasons that we can see, three indicators that we can know if the Spirit has been working in a person's life. He says first that you relate to God differently. You cry out to him as Abba, Father. Look at that in, uh, in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The second indicator of the Spirit's work in a person's life mentioned there in verse 14 is that you are led by the Spirit of God. It says verse 14, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then in verse 13, a third indicator, it says that if you live by the Spirit, then you will put to death the deeds of the flesh. So three ways that Paul says you can tell if the Spirit is really at work in you. You relate to God the Father as Abba, Father. You look to him for security and guidance. Then you're led by the Spirit of God. You look into his word and you yield to the truth of his word. And finally, when tempted, do you run to God's help 
to seek to defeat the sin before it begins to happen. Paul addressed the same problem with the church in Corinth. There was a group of people starting arguments and creating divisions in the local church there. If you want to see where the enemies at work, always look for division in the church. And he, Satan, is behind it. These people claim to have spiritual authority and they're boasting about who they are in Christ's kingdom. But Paul calls these people arrogant. He tells them this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk or words, but in power. And all the craziness this morning, let me encourage you not to be confused. The kingdom of God still comes the exact same way in power, not just in words. These aren't just intellectual ideas that we just so long, eventually we believe. Like I was raised Republican and now I saw the light and I'm a Democrat. Or I was raised a Democrat and saw the light and became a Republican. This is not that kind of ideological shift. This is a complete metamorphosis of someone's life. I once was a slave to sin. I once was walking in darkness. And my life has been radically changed. Paul would go on to say that we actually become new creatures. Christianity is not just a set of ideas. It's not this cognitive ascent, just that cognitive ascent that we give it. It's a ruling power. To put it simply, if we don't see the power of God at work in our lives, then maybe we've adopted a set of beliefs that we do think that Jesus was raised from the dead, but we've never submitted our life to him. We've never seen the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. We've never seen the transforming power of God come to work in and through us. And this is such a great danger for the religious South. That we've adopted this set of beliefs, but we've never encountered God. We've never repented of sin. We've never turned to follow him. We really don't care what his word says to us. We're going to live our life our way. And we'll still give him Sunday mornings. And we'll still tithe in the baskets. But we are not going to submit our life to him. And that kind of Christianity, that spirit of religion, is the same spirit the Pharisees had. The Pharisees, the only people that Jesus ever really yelled at, he drove him crazy that they would adhere to the spirit of religion and miss salvation completely. To become a Christian, again, is not just adopting a new set of ideas, but having the very spirit of Jesus Christ in you, like a seed planted in you, Jesus said, that grows fruit off a tree that produces fruit again and again. He says also, compares it to yeast within dough that literally changes the shape of the dough. Look how Peter explains it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You might circle that in your, in, your, uh, in your scripture. You might highlight that on your device. That we become partakers in the divine nature. Does that, does that sound like an explanation for the Christianity that you've walked through? You yourself become a partaker in the divine nature of Jesus Christ. That his nature has been married with us, changing us, our lives being transformed. Paul would say a few chapters later in Romans 12, don't drift towards looking like the culture around you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, this word metamorphosis. 
You ever bought one of those little things for your kids, the little caterpillar turned into a butterfly kit? We bought one of those for, for our kids. And we did something wrong because it, ne- it, it never changed. It was just, you know, in the little cocoon forever. We kept telling our kids, well, maybe next week, well, maybe next week. And then we sent them to the grandparents and we disposed of the whole thing. I feel like some of us kind of have that mentality. That we're in the process of changing or we want to change, but we've never seen change. And I think that's because we've limited Christianity to an ideological shift. Oh, I used to believe this, but now I believe this. And that is not what Christianity is in its fullness. It is much bigger than this. Let's look at it. Let's give teeth to it. Think back with me. Wednesday of Holy Week. All the scribes and Pharisees and Herodians are all enemies at some point, but they come together with their enemy to try to trick Jesus. Says one of the teachers of the law, you remember this, goes to Jesus, trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself, and he says, Lord, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't miss a beat as he never, he never does. He goes back to the Old Testament, answers quickly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that, and let's not pose or pretend. That's impossible, right? Can you know that that's impossible? Just to love the Lord your God with all of your soul, all of your might, all of your strength. And to put a cherry on top, you also have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's ridiculous, This is unbelievable. It's impossible. Of course it is. Jesus said this heading to the cross, knowing this, that on this side of the cross, absolutely it's impossible. But on the other side of the cross, you're going to have real power from the Holy Spirit living within you that's going to enable you to love difficult people, going to enable you to have strength and power to speak boldly in the name of Christ. And these early disciples not just believed this ideological idea, they submitted their life to it. They went and waited for the Holy Spirit. Act gives us account. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They got real boldness. Peter, the very one who challenged Jesus time and time again about his road to death, is one that stands up at the day of Pentecost and preaches this simple but so effective gospel message. Thousands were added to the church. Does that sound like a hoax to you? Before long, this Christianity spread like wildfire in the Roman Empire, making it all the way to Asia Minor within several months. Jesus said the greatest commandment on the way to the cross, knowing that in just a few days it would all make sense, that we would now be partakers in the very divine nature of Jesus. This was never meant to be just a new idea. The gospel, the kingdom of God does not come just in words, does not come just in talk. We've not gathered today to celebrate a new idea. We've gathered today to celebrate the resurrection power of Jesus within us. Becoming a Christian is to have your life turned upside down. Tim Keller calls it a self-revolution. Jesus compared it to having a seed planted in Luke chapter 13. Have you experienced the power of the kingdom or just ideas of the kingdom? Is your life being transformed by the power of the gospel this morning? So much more than Easter eggs and baskets and egg hunts and pastel clothes. Listen, church, this is the real power of God. 
Christ in you, the very hope of glory. So we can face utter darkness outside of us if we need to because the power of God resides within us. In the book of Luke, we see Jesus fully dependent upon the power of the Spirit. We see miraculous signs happen. We see insight given. In the book of Acts, we see the same Holy Spirit come to take residence in people like you and me. And they change the entire world through their boldness, through signs and wonders, through their incredible bridge-building love for one another. As a matter of fact, Paul would later say, if you want power, don't just look to the signs of healing or tongues, but the greatest signifier of power in your life is the ability to love other people. Jesus compares his coming kingdom to this little mustard seed planted to yeast inside of the dough, not a loud explosive power. We're not throwing dynamite up in the air. You don't move concrete by throwing the seed against it. Nothing significant ever happens that way, but you plant it. And the power of inevitable, continual, secret, but relentless growth will take place. If you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's what comes inside of you. Consider that yeast, it comes into the dough. It doesn't replace the dough, but the effects the dough in such a way that it's transformed into a new likeness. It rises and takes the dough with it. In a similar way, when you're born again, when you become a follower, disciple of Jesus, when the power of the kingdom of God enters a person, it doesn't replace the person. They don't become robotic. You don't lose your personality or uniqueness. No, the very nature of God, like yeast, enters in and his love and his strength and his desires inside of you rise and take you with it. You become the person that God intended you to be, created you to be. Your personality, your uniqueness, your gifts, your abilities, all being transformed into the best version of you, the one that looks like Jesus, enabling you to love without hate, to have righteous anger without sinning, to live lives of discipline without moving into legalism, to display forgiveness instead of harboring bitterness. Church, do you see this in your life? Do you see this at work in your life, this power of the Spirit? What does all this mean? It means to have the power that raised Christ from the dead at work in you is changing you. The way you know you're a Christian, to know if the kingdom's at work is to look at yourself and see that you're continually growing. You're taking on a new shape. Let's look through the lens of the four areas we talked about earlier, loving God with your mind. Holiness then becomes not just a conceptual idea. Your life is actually becoming holy. Your daydreaming is not limited to the weekends, not limited to what we're going to do this weekend, but thinking about Christ and what he's done and is doing. Your thinking is not just, can I get through today? It's what does God want to do through me today? Your eyes aren't just focused at your feet and the task at hand. They're open, ears open, spirit open. God, what are you doing today? What do you want to do around me today? Where is your kingdom expanding into? And how can I be a part of that? You're really loving God with your mind. Forgiveness is not just something that you aspire to, that you think only super Christians can do. No, the very realness of God and what he has done for you becomes more real than what people have done to you. And you're able to forgive instead of growing bitter. 
Can you think just for a second, maybe some of you, your hearts are so wounded by something someone's done for you, overwhelmed with bitterness. It's how bitterness works. Many times it happened decades ago and you've just let it fester. You're numb to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You've actually given Satan a foothold in your life because of your lack of forgiveness. And Jesus looks and says, hey, just invite me into that wound. Because with me, I bring supernatural power to forgive in an incredible and real way. When people hurt you, instead of retaliating, you can love them. Can you imagine such a life? This is the life of the Spirit. This is the Spirit dwelling in you, at work in you. And it doesn't stop there. Loving God with our minds. Think about loving God with your heart and soul, the very seed of your emotion. Where your identity and validation come from. The more you grow in Christ, the less you worry, the less anxious you are, because the threats of life begin to pale in comparison to the reality of who you are in Christ. You're an heir with Christ, a son or daughter of God Most High. The words of Scripture become more real than the circumstances around you. What about loving God with all your strength or might? Maybe you're living in your own strength. How's that working for you? The initiatives that get your time and effort take on a whole new meaning. When you're led by the Spirit and dwelt by the Spirit, walk in the power of the Spirit. You don't work for your boss anymore. You work as unto the Lord. Your duties today are not just tasks to be accomplished. You're a presence around. You're taking the very kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, into pockets of darkness all over the world. Your neighbors aren't just your neighbors, just randomly selected to live next to you. No, absolutely. God has planted you there as light in the midst of darkness. You gain this entire new mission as God is making his appeal through you, Corinthians says. You begin to really love your neighbor as yourself. Can I be honest with you? If you haven't noticed yet, some people are really hard to love. No offense to my actual neighbors that are at church today. Sometimes God puts you by the weirdest neighbors. People from a different culture. They have different customs. They have different emotional baggage. They have different value systems. Some people, if we're honest, are just hard to love. But we're called to love them and empowered to love them. Because the power within you that raised Jesus from the dead is more real than the obstacles of loving people in front of us. Can we wrap our minds around that church? The very power that takes a dead man, Jesus, the Son of God, laying in the tomb with the rock covering it, dead, 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 and brings him back to life, Paul says, is at work in the church right now. Can you imagine such power? Here's the good news, church, that no matter what condition we were in when we walked into the room, we can actually leave a different person. There's a truth that we can embrace today, but more than that, there's a person that we can give allegiance to today that will radically change us forever, literally walk out here different than when we walked in. No longer a slave to sin and impulsive behavior, liberated from fear and guilt and shame through the gospel of Jesus. Let me read the passage one more time to you and we're going to pray and close. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Friends, you have the power to change. Not on your own, not by pulling yourself up by your own straps of your own work boots, not by trying harder when you leave here, but instead of submitting to Jesus Christ. You have the power to change, to love the unlovable people, to live lives of purity and holiness in the midst of darkness in the sex-crazed culture we live in, to escape materialism through generosity. On and on we could go. You have the Spirit of God living within you. Or do you? Is he there? Have you seen your life transform before your eyes? Ask those around you. Do you see the Spirit of God at work in me? And this is the great foundation of our hope that God has raised Jesus from the dead and that he reigns now as king over heaven and earth and death and hell and he cannot fail in his purpose to raise us up to glory with him one day, to belong with him as co-heirs. Heard one pastor say that all of religion is spelled D-O-Do. You better try harder. You better work harder. But Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E, because Christ has done it all. And that's what we celebrate. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song together. Thank you for staying with me through all of the craziness this morning. But I'd ask if you would just maybe close your eyes for a second with where you are, and this, please, this is no manipulation. I I really want you to ask God the Father to speak very clearly to you with what we've heard today through his word. Maybe you're not part of God's family. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. This spiritual power we're talking about is, is just talk. Maybe you would place your faith and trust in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross forgiving you of your sin. Maybe you would place your faith and trust in him today for the first time, become part of God's family. Maybe there's another step that God's calling you to take. I know there's festivities today. There's a lot going on. Would you focus just for a moment? What's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ saying to you in this moment? Father, your church has gathered. The picture you paint is as wheats among tares. Goats mixed in with the sheep and sometimes it's hard to tell who's really part of the church and not, but your scripture is very clear. That your kingdom is made up of those who place their faith and trust in you and follow you in obedience and discipleship. And I pray even this morning, Father, that through your spirit that you would expose the difference between wheats and tares in our own hearts. That many that have been seized with this spirit of religion, of performing, of attending, but never really encountered the power of your spirit, that you would awaken them to that truth. They would do business with you today. 
for many in this room, Jesus, we've been following you for a long time, but it's been a long time since we've seen your spirit really work. We've grieved your spirit. Pray that you would lead us to the ongoing sin in our life and we would repent of that and you would return to us the joy of salvation and the power of the indwelling spirit. What greater news than on this Easter of us getting right with you. For the rest of us in this room who've been following you for a long time and seeing you at work, Father, would you awaken the taste buds on our heart to crave you, your presence, your power working, to not be okay or lulled to sleep by our culture, continue being transformed by your work within us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.